Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Mark Thompson, co-founder of PayKickstart. In this episode, we talked about how an internal tool their team built ended up being their main product, affiliate programs as a channel for growth, and the challenges they face when it comes to churn and retention. We also discussed how PayKickstart optimizes the onboarding to tackle churn, how they measure its impact, and how to avoid credit card failures by being proactive with your customers. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Mark is the co-founder of PayKickstart, a flexible shopping cart affiliate management platform. They have over 1,500 customers and have processed over half a billion dollars in transactions since being founded in 2016. Prior to Pay Kickstart, Mark was the CEO and founder of Digital Kickstart and has built and sold multiple companies over the past 12 years. So my first question for you, Mark, is what excites you about the subscription economy? I love it. To me, it's the holy grail of any online business, right? It's all about predictable revenue. Uh, and that was a mistake I learned early on when I've created lots of different products and programs over the years and sold them online. And uh, for many years, I would sell them at a one-time fee. And, and while that was nice to get a nice bump in revenue in, you know, when they purchase, but you know, if, to me, that's not really building an online business. That's just really a revenue stream, just a short-term revenue model. So to me, you know, the recurring revenue model is the holy grail of, of every online business. Yeah, I definitely echo that. I think what the thing I love about it most is its predictability. Like, and once you get to a certain scale, like being able to predict your growth and understand like the different levels and the dials that you can pull to increase it is, is really magical. I think when it comes to like building and growing a company. So, mm-hmm. uh, nice. So, pay kick starts. Like, tell us a little bit about it. What is it that you do? Like, how are you different from others in the market? Yeah, so we'll pay Kickstart started as an internal tool. So we have used every shopping cart under the sun to accept payments. Um, but what we noticed was that they were not very flexible. So back in the day before we even built pay Kickstart, you know, we had different types of products. We had SaaS solutions, we had WordPress plugins, we had information programs. And we just noticed that there was uh, just, they were very archaic. They were not flexible at all. Um, And it didn't really adapt to our business 
our business and the products that we offered. So we just decided, you know, we were a software company and we were going to build it ourselves. And so that's what it, what we did. So for a couple of years, we built our own shopping cart and we managed, you know, accepting payments and managing our recurring revenue and managed our affiliate partners. And then we had people asking us about this platform that we created and we decided, you know, well, hey, why not let other vendors use the, the platform? So we opened it up to uh, a beta group about four and a half years ago now, five years ago now. And uh, kind of the rest is history. We had some people test it out. They gave us their feedback. And we decided, you know, if, if we were going to go down this route and, and, you know, turn this into a mainstream uh, SaaS application that we really had to uh, put our focus and effort into it. And so as it started into an internal tool, it's uh, it quickly started to mature and grow over the last four years of being open to the general public. Wow. So, and then this became now the main focus then for the company. Did you, would you call this like a pivot, an internal pivot? And it, it, it did. Yeah. So we, we still have, you know, the digital kickstart business, which is our sister company, but a lot of it is kind of run. We have, you know, certain people that manage it. The, like the majority of our time, money, resources is going towards the growth of the pay kickstart platform. And so it's been kind of an exciting time for us over the last six to 12 months with more people, more vendors starting to use the platform. I'm starting to, you know, getting, building trust, especially when it comes to dealing with people's money online. Um, they, they really need to be able to trust the platform that they're using. And so I feel that we've really built that over uh, the last few years with our customers. And so, yeah, it's been our main focus. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think definitely billing is one of those areas, like you mentioned, like there's a lot of different nuances that go into it and finding the right solution for your business is not always easy. Uh, at the same time, I think like in my personal opinion, I think a lot of businesses make the mistake of trying to go and build their own custom solution uh, in-house because I think ultimately like if you're not really focusing on your comp- core competency as a business and really trying to deliver value to that, you end up spending a lot of time and resources trying to build in these like billing functions and like probably as you've seen as well, like it became and consumed your business uh, at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, I don't recommend it. As someone who personally has built a billing system from scratch, I wouldn't recommend any business doing it. And I think that's one of the reasons that we we and other people, you know, other solutions out there are are in business because I think you realize once you start to go down that rabbit hole, there's a lot that can go into it. And so really, you know, we try to remove all of those technical hurdles when it comes to billing and affiliate management. Interesting. And why the combination of the two? So uh, the billing management and affiliate management, like, where did you see the crossover there? Like, yeah, so I I mean, it it seems like a natural fit, really. So I mean, and a lot of it was from personal experience. So we bootstrapped all of the different businesses that we've created. And a lot of it has been off the backs of affiliate partners that we've worked with. So just like-minded entrepreneurs, online business owners who have a list, a following, and they would promote our products and we'd uh, give them a commission. So a lot of it was just, that's that's one of the growth levers that we used. And, you know, it just, it seems like a natural fit, right? If you're selling a product, it can be a, a great way to build your, your business, get exposure by offering an affiliate program. And we noticed that there were a couple platforms that were doing both, offering both the, the billing and affiliate side, but they, in our opinion, they weren't doing it very well. And so we, we thought that we could do it better. And so that's that's what we did. We didn't want to we didn't want to diversify too much. We've seen some solutions go out there and put themselves in a really bad position where they try to be, 
your shopping cart, your affiliate solution, your email autoresponder, your CRM, your webinar solution. And what happens is you become average at all these things. And yeah. so, you know, we decided billing affiliate management, we want to be the best at that. And so that's what we've done. Cool. So I definitely think it feels like then you're sitting on some interesting data when it comes to affiliate and churn and retention. So we are. And yeah, yeah. and it's kind of, we're, we're kind of in a really neat position to be able to look under the hood of all these businesses to see what works, what doesn't work. Absolutely. So it's one thing maybe I'm interested, maybe we can dive into a little bit uh, is like, I think definitely when you think about referral campaigns internally and like existing users referring and promoting a product uh, tends to be a good channel and uh, it's always good coming from word of mouth. But how do you see affiliates uh, as a channel for growth as well in lines with a channel for growth that's strong in retention as well? Yeah, so it's going to be different for you industry. So if you're an established brand, you've been around for, you know, five, 10, 15 years, you typically rely less on affiliate partners, just because you already have the brand recognition, you may even have your, you know, paid ads dialed in really well. And you, and you have probably other traffic channels. If you're yeah. brand new, maybe you're on a limited budget, and you want to share some of your, your revenue with affiliate partners as commissions, that's really where I see a lot of the, the opportunity. So the companies who are either just starting out or they've been around for a couple of years. So we've built a marketplace to facilitate that. So our affiliates, I think there's over 60,000 affiliate partners inside the marketplace. They can go and find products that are relevant to them. They can go and promote them. There's built-in uh, marketing materials provided by the vendor. So we just make it super easy and streamlined for affiliates to connect with vendors and, and online businesses in, in promoting them. And then the same thing, like it just this went through my mind now in terms of like commissions and stuff like that is it typically is it like one-off commissions or it's similar like recurring revenue that these affiliates are building and what is the preferred method for companies using affiliate model? Yeah, it, it's both. And a lot of it's going to come down to your numbers and what type of overhead you have. Obviously, if you're like a physical seller, you have to worry about creating the, the, the product, fulfillment, shipping, all that kind of stuff. Um, so your margins are probably a little bit lower, which means commissions are probably going to be a little bit lower. But we focus, we mainly work with digital sellers. So people running membership sites, software, information products, that's really our sweet spot. Coaches, and um, so they're able to offer more competitive commissions. But then again, it's, it's different per, per industry, right? Health yep. and fitness, um, that's a really big uh, space for commissions. You know, it could be anywhere between 30, 40% commission. The internet marketing space can even go up to 50%. Some are as low as 10%. So it really just depends. But obviously, the higher the commission, the more incentive there is for an affiliate to promote. But, you know, we've seen something where you know, they'll offer something like 50% for the first payment and then anything recurring, you get 20% for the life of the customer, something like that. Nice. Then who are the customers that using your service as well? Like what are these types of businesses? What are their stages of growth? Like, yeah, really all stages of growth. So we work, uh, as I said, mainly with digital sellers. So maybe you're creating an online course or you're running a membership site or you're selling a SaaS solution or a WordPress plugin or theme or desktop app. There's a built-in licensing engine that you can utilize. Uh, or maybe you're selling a simple physical product like a book or just one package that you want to ship off. We, we do you know, a, a lot of that as well. We work with coaches who are selling services. So those are really the main type of, of customers we work with. 
Interesting. So like a widespread, and the reason for asking the question as well is just to get an idea of maybe some of the challenges that you would have when it comes to churn and retention. And in my mind, I imagine, and this is something as well, like when we speak to companies like of similar nature is like, once you get built into a company and you've like become a core component of their billing infrastructure, which is a core component of their business, like churn and retention tends to be not that much of an issue. And some of the reasons for churn tend to be outside of your control. So like in a few of the cases you mentioned, I think like going out of business and this could be like maybe one of the bigger reasons why you would lose a customer as opposed to maybe the product or service not delivering on its value. So yeah. how like is these assumptions correct? And like, how do you see like churn and retention in your own company as well for your customers? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So one thing that we've really been working on over the past year to 18 months has been churn. And so we've seen that once we can get a stick rate, meaning we can keep customers for at least three months, they're customers for life almost, right? Because as you said, you know, the billing part is such an integral part of their online business. Once they're comfortable with the platform, we see that they're, they use it, you know, month in, month out. Now, one thing that we've noticed is we have to get them over that hump. And so what we've done is created an onboarding process that allows them to um, really go step-by-step step through the, the key um, actions we want them to take. And then just to get them, get, the, get that aha moment, have them get to first value and be able to, you know, get our system integrated with the rest of their own systems. And so, you know, we've had lots of native third-party integrations inside the platform. We've even added um, an in-app onboarding wizard that they can walk through. And we've also recently just added a 30-minute onboarding call so they can go directly with one of our product specialists and ask questions and make sure we get them up to speed. Because again, if we can provide that upfront investment into them, we feel that there's going to be a long-term uh, return on it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think the one thing as well, just to dive into a little bit more detail here, would be interesting to hear, like from an onboarding perspective, you mentioned you've done quite a few things uh, recently. Like how did you go about deciding on what to work on first? And I think because also the nature of your product, it's not something that's in my mind, at least a really quick implementation and something that's going to be set up in one day and then you're up and running. So typically you'll have like a, a long onboarding cycle and on, uh, onboarding process. So what are some of the metrics, first of all, that you look at in terms of like your onboarding uh, process and how you go about measuring its impact? And then how did you go about sort of deciding like what steps to prioritize in the onboarding uh, flow first? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's another good question. And so this was kind of something tricky that we had to figure out. So the first thing we had to figure out is what are the key actions we need them to take? So, you know, in our, in our platform, they create a campaign, they, they add their products, and then they build out a sales funnel. Once they've done that, they can take their checkout links and they have to integrate with one of our payments gateways um, so they can process payments. But once that's done, they have their checkout links and they can start processing orders. So it can be done. And so what we've done is we've tried to simplify it as best we could. So asking them for uh, as little information as possible, but then they can go back in there and dive into the nitty gritty details if they need to customize something. So that was something that we set up actually internally just to measure, okay, what are the key actions that they need to take? Are they taking, what percentage are taking those key actions? And that's what helped us to build our in-app um, onboarding sequence that we've created. So that was one thing we did. And then we also coupled it with custom emails that we send out 
if they get hung up on a certain step, right? So they've completed step one, but for whatever reason, they didn't complete step two. We'll send them a reminder to try to get them back into the onboarding flow, get them to complete that flow. Yeah. Okay. And then the next thing as well, like on that, looking at sort of onboarding, like what's the time frame you're typically looking for this to happen within? Like how, what is the typical user going through? And uh, the reason I ask as well is looking at your pricing and packaging, you're offering a 14 day free trial. Do you see many of your customers who end up becoming sort of those sticky ones that go get over the three month uh, hump being the ones that are converting and seeing that value within those 14 days? Like, are you measuring time to value as one of the metrics for your customers? Yeah, so what we've seen is the quicker we can get them through that onboarding process, the more likely they are to stick. So we do give them the 14 days. We're generally seeing um, people finish usually within the first day or two. So they're, they're, we try to get them engaged as quickly as possible. So one thing we are actually in the process of adding is a voicemail, a ringless voicemail drop. So we can just say, hey, go and schedule your 30-minute onboarding session. Let's get you set up as quickly as possible because we know that if we can get them through that process, again, they're more likely to, to convert into a long-term customer. A couple other things that were really tricky for us, particular, uh, particularly were if they were coming from another billing platform or another shopping cart. You know, they have questions of, well, how do I, you know, I have all these Stripe subscriptions. How do I get them into your platform? So one thing we did add was the ability to import their subscriptions right into the PayKickstart platform. So from a customer standpoint, they, they don't really notice anything different. And then from you, you know, the vendor they can manage all of their uh, subscriptions right inside our platform. They don't have to go to the third party uh, platform that they were using, or they don't have to go into Stripe. So that was another hurdle that we tried to overcome by allowing them to import existing subscriptions. That's nice. very interesting as well. Like in terms of you say like the day or two being the ones that tend to stick, uh, whoever gets set up into value. It's definitely something that's like a recurring theme in the show is like the faster you can get customers to value, uh, not only from like a retention perspective, but even from a sales, like we discussed in a previous episode with Mark Roberg, which is going to air pretty soon, that at HubSpot's like noticed something similar. And obviously now at a lot of different companies where in the sales side, if you're not speaking to a customer within that first hour of contact, like you have diminishing returns after us and well. And uh, again, similarly as well at Atlassian in their early days when they were trying to sort of figure out what was the biggest lever for retention, what they mm. actually figured out was the amount of time spent in their product on their first session. Like if that number was high and they were able to keep people engaged and uh, maintain in that first session, uh, they were able to keep them for the long term. And I think it goes back to sort of just the more time they spent, the more value they were getting out of that service uh, in that initial session. But yeah, that, yeah, that's great advice. So the next thing as well I wanted to ask about was I see that you have a retention accelerator, six simple hacks to retain the customers that you've earned and stop the leaky revenue bucket. What is uh, included in this? Like uh, maybe give us one or two of the the hacks that you have for the audience. Yeah. So you know, the, in, in a lot of this we learned the hard way. We you know for about I think from like 2014 to 2015 we uh, the previous platform we were using didn't have just like simple dunning notifications. So if, if you're not familiar with what dunning is, there's a few different types of dunning. So I'll start with pre-dunning. So pre-dunning would be, you know, just trying to find out, hey, who are customers who are at risk, meaning they're, they, there's a good chance that their payment is going to fail. So most of the time it's because their credit card is going to expire. So we previously didn't have a way to contact those customers and say, hey, your credit card's about to expire next month. 
no worries. Here's a link, go and update your details and you're smooth sailing, right? And then once they have the, the, once you get into the dunning process is when the payment has already failed. And so a lot of it, again, the majority of the time it's because their credit card has expired, but there's other reasons as well. The credit limit was reached or, or there's other reasons, but so having a system in place to reach out to the customer just to get them to go and update their details. So you're, you're minimizing involuntary churn. So well, one thing that, and one feature that we actually recently just added was the ability to not only send email notifications, Dunning email notifications, now you could also do in-app notifications. So when someone logs into their account, you can say, hey, your credit card's going to expire, or hey, your last payment just failed, or even like the strong customer authentication that is being required in, in by the credit card companies to have customers authorize or reauthorize the you know, recurring payments can really significantly in, uh, decrease your, your churn rate. Yeah, that's definitely interesting as well, specifically on like sort of the pre-dunning uh, work as well, because I think if you think about it as well, logically, I think the average card expires every two years. So on average, like you could have anywhere between like three to 5% of all cards on file expiring at any point in time. So if you're having that sort of proactive approach and reaching out to customers early can definitely be a good way of reducing it. Another one like that's actually come up in the show and interesting to hear if you've seen similar is credit cards being processed like cross continent and cross country, depending on where your processor is. And this, like I think it came up in an episode where a lot of the revenue was, or the business was maybe based in Australia, but the majority of the revenue was coming from the US or vice versa. And they were seeing a lot of churn happening for like the clients from the bank's perspective from this, like paying to a foreign processor. Is this something that you've seen as well now in the work that you're doing around Dunning? Like, have you seen any companies implementing smart ways around this? Yes and no. It hasn't been a huge issue. I know one thing that can be impacted is making sure that your business is listed under the right category. So because, you know, certain, like if it's listed in, in the wrong type of category, it can be flagged and it can lead to you know, a, a failed payment. And so I know if you contact the, the, the different payments providers and tell them, make sure you're associated to the right category, that can help. I haven't seen too much in terms of cross countries. Obviously, there's certain countries that are at higher risk. So if you're accepting payments from, you know, Nigeria or a, a country like that, it can definitely have an impact. One thing that we love to do is be able to offer lots of different payment methods. So not just credit card, but offering PayPal, offering like an ACH or a SEPA wire transfer. We're also in the process of being able to support Apple Pay, Google Pay. So you can just, you know, which is very secure as well. So offering lots of options can help to overcome that challenge. Interesting. Uh, I like as well that I've never heard that before as well in terms of making sure you're categorized, your company's categorized in the right way of companies. Right. And uh, how would somebody go about doing that exactly? There is, you know what I'll do? I, we actually just recently wrote a blog post on it. it gives you nice. step by step. Right. So in the show notes, maybe I can provide that to you and it'll show you exactly what you need to do. Awesome. Uh, so we'll definitely be adding that as well at the end. Yeah. So the next thing I wanted to ask, just a little bit of a random question, but what is like the hardest thing that you've had to learn when it comes to training and retention, like of your career and that you wish you had known like when you got started? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is what we've been talking about. So getting, getting the customer to first value. So when we first created Pay Kickstart, we were, we were so focused on, okay, we need to worry about this feature and that feature. And 
after like a couple of years, the, the, the platform got so big and we started just throwing features here and there. And we never really thought about the customer experience and just like that people could be getting confused. And so for the longest time before we really started to dig deep and see why customers were churning, the biggest reason was they were just confused. They, they didn't know what path they should be going on. And so I would highly recommend for everyone this you know, simple or complex as your product is to really hold the customer's hand and don't assume everything. Don't assume they're going to know where they need to go next, right? So it needs to be as simple for, you know, my eight-year-olds to go and click around and be able to figure out what they need to do. Yeah, I think that's also definitely a big recurring theme that we've come across. I think Keaton Shaw actually in the episode when we had him on the show, he mentioned exactly this is I think being one of his biggest lessons that he learned is really like focusing on what that onboarding experience and then also not only what the onboarding experience looks like, but the next time they come back to your product, what that experience looks like as well. Uh, Because a lot of times they might come in and maybe have not done the correct onboarding process, but then come back to expect to find value and not uh, get you know, treated with like no data or or nothing there. And it's also just making sure you maximize like every time somebody comes back to your product, like thinking about what that experience is like and how to make sure you can make it as clear and simple as possible for them to extract value. We also talk about this quite a lot as well when the onboarding and it's a concept that you mentioned now you kept on adding features like all the way along is the concept of like when onboarding starts and stops as well because like as you're continuously adding new features in in some mindset you need to continue onboarding your customers to these new features and then your whole, whole onboarding as well like for new customers who might come in the future needs to be adapted to be adjusted to this so it's an interesting sort of balance I think to play between like what is and what isn't onboarding and like how do you ensure that you're bringing your customers along with the product changes that you make yeah it's uh, there's a fine line there and so what we've what we've tried to do is really not introduce customers to more advanced features or features that they're really not going to need to be exposed to until they've done x y and z so once they've once they've completed that initial onboarding that's when we can send them a trigger to say, hey, we'll go and explore this feature, go and explore that feature. And so we'll do a combination of emails, but then we've also just added some in-app notifications so people can be exposed. So we can just give them subtle nudges just so they can get exposed to to the new features that are, are constantly being added to the system. And it's interesting. It's actually something as well at Hotjar where I'm at at the moment. It's like it's six years into the company now. And now are we only really starting to give this good emphasis and focus in terms of like, how can we create this activation and onboarding experience that's tailored to the actual use cases of our customers? So I think like you, you mentioned, you have a few different customers and they might be coming to you for different reasons to begin with and understanding like, what are they trying to achieve from our product first gives us a better way of giving them an onboarding experience that gets them to that value because Hotjar is like, it has seven different tools within one. And you could be coming to us for seven different reasons. Obviously, we know the majority of where they lie are being heat maps and recordings. But having that first context of understanding what people are trying to achieve has now allowed us to sort of create these experiences for them. Uh, and we are seeing some really, really positive results in terms of retention from our activation initiatives. Yeah, I think it's really important as you start to scale to be able to segment 
those different groups of customers and then give them a tailored onboarding experience. So like we know, you know, SaaS companies that use our platform, they use it completely different than someone, you know, like an online course creator or membership site. So yeah. it's important to identify what's important to them, what features do they need, what path are they going to take, and then personalize it for them. Yeah, I noticed that on your site as well, you had singled out like a couple of different business uh, types. And for those, are you doing anything special in terms of the onboarding or is it really just more around the educational content and emails that you're trying to drive them? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's both. So on the website, we do try to you know, speak sp- uh, specifically to each segment and try to highlight the features and, and benefits of, of what they need in particular, because our onboarding is still, we're still kind of tweaking the main core onboarding. Once that's optimized to you know somewhere where we feel really comfortable with it, that's when we're going to start breaking off, branching off into, you know, customized onboarding for each segment. So it's, it's always a work in progress. It never, you know, yeah. it's something that you always need to be tweaking. I was going to say that, as you said, like we, we're fairly happy with it. It feels like, you're never happy with onboarding and it's always right. going to be like an, a constant yeah. evolution. Uh, okay. It's one of those weird things as well. Like actually like speaking to my mother, for example, she asked me like, well, what do you do all the time? Like with, like you built it, like, so what? Like it, it just doesn't work. Like I think people outside of tech and outside of building software don't really understand all the work that goes into uh, making these changes and constantly iterating, experimenting to improve the product for customers. Like, absolutely. And I think it was Heat and Shah said it as well on the episode is like, product market fit is a moving target and you're always trying to aim for it and you you always need to be adapting and moving with it which is something to they've seen throughout the business like from onboarding to product and so forth yep yep well said cool so the the last question i want to ask for the show because i see we're running up on time here and something i ask every guest that joins the show is let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that you've joined a new company and uh, you've arrived and you see the channel retention is not doing great and the CEO is asked to you put you in charge to help turn things around for the company, but it's looking for results fast. And it's given 90 days. Like, what would you be wanting to do in these first 90 days to try and make a dent on churn and retention of the company? Yeah. Well, before I answer that question, I think everyone needs to place a lot of emphasis on churn. So many companies worry about driving more traffic, more leads, because it's like the sexy thing to do, right? But if, if you don't have a a way to manage those customers and try to increase, you know, ARPU and, and, and how the retention, it's, it's going to be wasted um, money and time and energy. So, um, but to answer your question, the first thing that I would do is we need to figure out, well, why are they churning? What, what is the reason? And it could be a combination of a few different things. It could be both voluntary churn and involuntary. So you need to make sure you have a system set up for involuntary churn, try to automate as much as you possibly can to get the customer to be able to update their details. So you don't have to worry so much about that. But it's more so on the voluntary churn. Why is it that people are leaving? And so it's, it can be as simple as contacting the last 25 to 50 people who canceled and just get them on, on a call or on Facebook or just reach out to them. It's so easy nowadays to connect with customers. You have no reason not to reach out to them and find out, well, what was it, right? And now, again, some things are going to be completely out of your control, like you mentioned at the beginning, but, but some things will be in your control, right? They were confused. They didn't know what to do. They needed a certain feature. They, there's, there's different reasons. So if, if you turn a blind eye to that, then you're not going to know. And so actually 
One uh, new feature that we just added um, today, just, just released it, was our cancellation saver. So it's a sequence, uh, it's a retention sequence that you can use. So when someone goes to cancel, right, your, their subscription, your account, you can ask them, well, what is it, why did you cancel, right? Is it price? Is it a feature? Are you using a different um, uh, vendor? Um, what is the reason? And then you could also ask them for uh, some additional feedback. And you can also add in some, Automation. So, you know, if it's if it's a price thing, you could apply a coupon code. If it's a feature thing, hey, talk to our chat team. Maybe there's something we can do. We actually might even have that feature available. So these cancellation flows can be a great way to somewhat automate gathering the intelligence that you need to make better decisions moving forward so you can minimize churn. And then, like you said, well, maybe even in some cases deflect it as well. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So I think, Mark, I mean, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, really great listening. There's obviously a couple of resources that you mentioned that we will be wanting to add to the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else, like final notes, like you want to share with the audience uh, before we drop off anyways to keep up with to speed with what you're working on? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can go to paykickstart.com. We have, uh, I'd love for you to sign up for a free trial, um, see if it's a good fit. I'm happy to answer your questions there. We have live, live chat if you have any questions. We also have a, a really nice Facebook group where we're talking about subscription growth and subscription hacks. So just go to Facebook and type in pay kickstart. You'll see our Facebook group and you're able to join and there's tens of thousands of like-minded entrepreneurs and subscription-based businesses. And we have lots of great discussions there. So you're more than happy to join that. And I'm in there and I'd love to connect with you guys further. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining the show today. I mean, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, a lot of interesting takeaways for the audience and I wish you now best of luck uh, going forward. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review, as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.